You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Our people, Christians, the church, must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unfruitful, unproductive lives. Four times in those few verses in this last chapter, the theme is very clear, very easy to understand. It's doing good. Doing good. And not just to do good. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus because it's for Him kingdom causes. So you've repented of your sin and put your faith in Christ. Awesome. But now what? Well, as Pastor Danny will unpack in his message today, the Apostle Paul writes to Titus that as believers, we're to do what is good. But what is good? Today, you'll learn from Pastor Danny what it looks like to live out your day-to-day life as a believer and follower of Christ, not only doing what is good, but doing it in the name of Christ. Do you find yourself setting out to do what is good on a day-to-day basis? Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Titus chapter 3 with today's edition of The Living Word. Titus chapter 3, verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. And a simple reminder in that opening verse that the people that Titus would be reading this to, they're on the island of Crete, very pagan background. And so it really means a lot more when you think about it uh, in terms of the culture. It's not like America that has a Judeo-Christian heritage that we're walking away from, unfortunately, in some ways running away from. But this was a pagan culture, and so remind the people, the the Christians, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, to show true humility toward all men. We are not called to be revolutionaries. We're not called to rebel against the government. Uh, And the only time we disobey government is when government tells us to disobey this. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We were born again, whom he poured out on us generously, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That's amazing. I I pinch myself regularly. Is it really real? I really am going to live forever and ever and ever with Jesus Christ. I'll get a new body one day. 
I mean, the heritage, the, uh, the, the hope that we have to look forward to is just amazing. Amazing. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. Don't hang out with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Now, all I want to say about those couple of verses there is some people even today in the church are just so into controversy. They're arguing about non-essentials. And they sit around arguing about non-essentials and never get the work of Christ uh, accomplished. And to sit around and argue over non-essentials, I don't have time. Listen, life is too short. You know, you want to be uh, mid-trib, that's fine. You can still be a part of this fellowship. You know, I'm pre-tribber, all right? And I hope I'm right. Uh, I'm definitely pre-wrath. You know, do I do argue over, uh, do you believe in once saved, always saved? You know, and to argue over non-essentials. My goodness, let's, let's get on with the work of the gospel and the work of the kingdom. Because, listen, all the, all the things that we see darkly, all the things that aren't absolutely clear to us, they will be clear to us one day. But the Scripture tells us that right now we see as in a glass darkly. Don't understand everything. And so I don't, I, I'm not going to get caught up in things that aren't clear. I want to get caught up in things that are clear. Amen? That doesn't mean theology it shouldn't be discussed. It doesn't mean doctrine is not important. That's not the point. But let's keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's what he's saying here. People that sit around just argue over non-essentials, they're missing the point. Don't hang out with people like that. Verse 12, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Now, interesting, that verse, because it's the only uh, record I know of in the Bible of a Christian lawyer. And here he is, Zenos. I'm sure there are others. I'm sure there are some in the church, and, and we want to get to know you guys because one day we may need you, especially the way we're headed in America. So Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos, uh, you have to assume they're getting ready to go on some missionary endeavor, and so the practical word is do everything you can to help them and see that they have everything they need. And then finally, verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. The word means unfruitful. Uh, obviously, unproductive synonym, unfruitful. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, I, I, I've realized more than not, I'm not one of those guys that takes one verse and then digs that one verse out. I do it in my study, but in my teaching, I found I tend to just read through the passage and say, okay, what is the Lord saying here? And that's certainly what the Lord led me to do here. And I read through it fairly quickly, but if you, uh, if you were just read through this a few times, you would see uh, a theme in this final chapter, and it's clear. And if you just would read through it and meditate on it, you would see exactly what I saw. Verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers, authority, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Uh, verse 8, uh, right near the end. So that those who have trusted in God, that's us, may be careful to devote themselves to doing 
what is good. Uh, verse 13, do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos. Make sure they get everything they need for their mission, for their ministry. And then verse 14, our people, Christians, the church, must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unfruitful, unproductive lives. Four times in those few verses in this last chapter, the theme is very clear, very easy to understand. It's doing good. Doing good. And not just to do good. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Because it's for him. It's kingdom causes. Now, uh, we could spend time on being subject to rulers and authorities, being obedient, uh, slandering no one, being peaceable and considerate, showing humility. And all those things are certainly part of the Christian life. But if you just stop with those things, we would miss one of the greatest aspects of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is doing good. Hebrews chapter, or Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he went around, he went around doing good. That's what it says. Holy Spirit anointed him to do good. Well, the Holy Spirit's anointed us. Now, listen. We're called to carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, uh, some people call it the book of the Acts of the Apostles. But to be more technical, it's the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and it's the ministry of Jesus continued. That's the way it opens up. Of all that he began to do and to teach, and now he's continuing his ministry through his disciples who have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that's, Enabling us, leading us, encouraging us to do good. The Holy Spirit anointed Jesus and he went around doing good. Now, Matthew chapter 5. I want to give you several verses and if you, if you can't get to them, then just listen. Listen to them, okay? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. You, he's speaking of his disciples. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Notice that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, they see your good deeds. It has an effect on their life. It draws them to your Savior, and they end up praising the Father. In other words, they get saved. 1 Peter chapter 2. Tremendous couple of verses. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, speaking to Christians, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, this world is not our home, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that's just unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And glorify God on the day he visits us. You could also say, so that they also might be saved. And one of the things the Holy Spirit will use in their life to lead them to your Savior and my Savior is our good deeds. There are other verses that speak of that, but those two are certainly powerful. Now let me tell you, good deeds done um, because the Holy Spirit has anointed us, and just like Jesus, to do good works, good deeds, our good works are evidence of our genuineness. In other words, if all you do is go to church, you really ought to stop and say, do I really know the Savior? 
Because one of the marks of a true child of God that's been born again and now the Holy Spirit dwells in them is that they will do good deeds in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's a witness to the world. It proves our genuineness. Let me give you a couple of scriptures on this one. James chapter 2 just nails it. I mean, this, you don't have to have a high IQ to understand this one. Verse 14 of James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. You have faith, but it's dead faith. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Great verse. Great passage. Now, it's not only a proof of genuineness to the world, our good deeds. Listen, it's a proof for me personally. Listen to this one. 1 John chapter 3, if you want to make your way there quickly. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He just didn't have warm, fuzzy feelings. He did something. Cost him. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us, whenever you feel like, well, I don't feel like I'm really saved, then those good deeds give evidence even to me personally that I really am saved. Because I'm not just going to church. I'm not just believing in God. I'm doing something. Doing something. Now, I don't know if you know what the most basic good deed in the Bible is, in the New Testament especially. Jesus told us what the most basic good deed that every one of us can do is. You know what it is? I'm just going to give you the reference. You can write it down. Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, he gives the parable of the talents. And remember, uh, to one he gave five talents. To one he gave two talents. Then to somebody else, he gave one talent. So we're only responsible for what he gives us. And he's given some of us more. And if you've been given more, you're responsible for more. But remember now, the one with five invested those five uh, and came back. And after the investment, it, it basically doubled. And Jesus said, way to go. Good job. The one with two invested it. And it produced. And it was fruitful. But the one with the one, what did he do? He buried it. And he said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. That tells us he really didn't have a relationship with the master because he's not a hard man. He's a gracious man. He's merciful. <laughs> and so he buries it. And what does Jesus uh, say in the parable to this third one? Let me just read it for you. Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. His master replied, and the master, of course, is the Lord. You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And what he's saying there is, okay, 
If you're not going to do something with what I've given you, at least give what I've given you to somebody else that will do something with it. In other words, the most basic thing we can do is at least give to somebody, to some institution, somewhere that will make a difference for the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, the first and foremost place biblically we ought to do that is the church, right? It's the church. That's the entity God's called. We're the ones that are going into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so at the very least, the most basic good deed a Christian can do is open up your wallet, open up your purse, and honor the Lord and invest in kingdom causes. First and foremost, the church, and then extensions of the church, ministries that are doing the work of the church. That's the most basic good deed. You know how much the Bible, especially the New Testament, Old Testament as well, uh, talks about giving? You know how much Jesus talked about giving? Acts 20.35, Paul says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, which we don't have recorded in the Gospels, but he evidently said it because Paul knew about it. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you really believe that, then we do it because it's more blessed for me to give than to get. Jesus said that. Luke chapter 6, listen to what Jesus said here. This is, oh, this is good. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. And it's not just to get wealth. Another scripture in Corinthians says, he'll increase your seed so that you can be generous on every occasion. Running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I love 2 Corinthians when Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, talks about the Macedonian churches. Paul um, went around in churches that he planted and churches that he ministered to. He would collect offerings from these churches for special needs offerings. That's the equivalent of what we do here in our special needs offering. It's the benevolence fund. And it was a specific offering, aside from their regular giving, to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. And he would collect offerings from the churches, and then he'd go to Jerusalem, and he'd minister through those offerings. The churches, through those offerings, would minister to the poor saints in Jerusalem. But he wasn't going to tell the Macedonian churches. He wasn't going uh, to ask them to give because of their, their situation. <laughs> Paul talks about it, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, they're poor, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. So somebody let them know that they're being left out in the opportunity to give for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And they came to Paul and said, hey, you got to let us be a part of this. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with his will. So we urged Titus, since he'd earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he continues, and I want you to note this, verse 12. This service that you perform, these gifts that you're giving, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. 
Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, you've proved yourselves, it's evidence of your genuineness. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And here's what else happens. And in their prayers for you, the recipients of your gift, their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift referring to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Remember... The church at Ephesus also, pagan culture. And the gospel invades that pagan culture. They were cheats. They were liars. And then they came to know Christ. And here's what the Holy Spirit slips in. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. He who has been stealing, that's what you were like before Christ, must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his hands. Why? That he may have something to share with those in need, so he might become a giver. Luke chapter 16 is a very interesting passage. Luke chapter 16, and Jesus blasts, in a bad way, the people of the light, the church. Let me read it for you. After he tells the parable of the shrewd manager, he says this, the middle of verse 8, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind unbelievers, that are, that are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So when it's gone, the worldly wealth, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So it's not how much you have. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who'll trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here's the bottom line. When grace is flowing through the life of a Christian, they become givers. You get that? When grace is flowing through the life of a group of believers, a church, a local assembly of believers... They're givers. I thank God for this church. I really do. You think I'm setting you up. Well, God is setting you up, but not me. You read about the early church. What an amazing church to be a part of. When you read in Acts chapter 2, all the believers were together, had everything in common. doesn't mean it was a commune. They still had their own homes. And you know that if you read the passage, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. They didn't all sell them on the same day. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes, praising God, enjoying the favor, the grace of all the people. You get to Acts chapter 4. All the believers, verse 32, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. But it wasn't a commune. How do I know that? There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, over time, from time to time, those who own lands or houses sold them. And the picture is, as time went on and the Holy Spirit continued to minister to individuals in the early church, a couple, an individual would be led of the Holy Spirit to sell a piece of land. We don't really need that piece of land. Let's sell that land that's invested in the church. And they would. It even mentions Barnabas. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, also called Barnabas, means son of encouragement. He also sold a piece of land. He brought the money. He put it at the apostles' feet. So as time was going on, 
the grace of God was flowing through these individuals in the early church. And because the grace of God was flowing through them, they naturally would give. Amazing church to be a part of. You've been listening to The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship with Pastor Danny Hodges. Sometimes life circumstances hit hard and they can leave us wondering where God is. And not only that, they can leave us wondering if He's even real. But rest assured, the Lord never leaves or forsakes. And most importantly, He is the truth. Are you wrestling with your faith today? There's strength in lifting one another up in prayer, and we would be honored if we could do that for you. So send us an email at info at ccfstpete.church. That's info at ccfstpete.church. Would you also pray for us here at The Living Word? As our ministry grows, we always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first and our ideas second. His guidance is what we need. Would you pray that we'd recognize His voice always? Thanks for praying. If you don't already have a church that you call home and you live in or near St. Petersburg, we'd love to be that for you. Pastor Danny and all of us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship invite you to join us for our weekend services. Check out ccfstpete.church for the latest service times or to find out how you can join us online if you're not in the area. Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Titus right here on The Living Word.